Shimon Schwarzschild is a noted international environmental protection advocate and activist. His work contributed to the establishment of a nature preserve in Assisi, Italy, where Schwarzschild founded the Assisi Bird Campaign and helped organize the Assisi Nature Council and Action for Nature. Among working on many other environmental and neighborhood issues, Schwarzschild has also served as president of San Francisco's largest neighborhood organization and was the co-founder of the Native U Conservation Council to protect wild yew trees. Born in 1925 in Fairtime, Schwarzschild and his family left Nazi Germany in 1936 and emigrated to the United States. Recently, the German government restored Shimon's German citizenship that he had stripped from his family in the Nazi era. Shimon sees his dual citizenship as another step towards his ambition to become a true citizen of the world. Where are you right now? Oh, I'm in Paris. Oh, how nice. Yes. I wish I, wish I could find a, a magic carpet <laughs> there in five minutes. Ah, that's that's what I love. That's the an invention I would love, and it will be very uh, kind to the environment as well. Um, the trouble is, you'd have a lot of guests. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that is true. I would get a lot. Well, I know that you are always thinking about flying. You're connected to the birds and to nature. But let's dive in with the conversation, and we will just go from there. Uh, Shimon Schwarzschild, welcome to the Creative Processes One Planet podcast. Yeah. I'm looking forward to 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 it. And so, I mean, you have this immense work, you know, life's work really committed to the environment, uh, also social and humanitarian causes. Tell us a little bit about because we're familiar with some of your organizations that you are the founder of, but just tell us a little bit on your path to becoming an environmentalist and activist. What awakened that? Well. Initially, I, I, I was an electronic engineer, and I had uh, fought in two wars. And, uh, and then I went into the engineering business, and I didn't like it because I had just finished being uh, taken care of by the government and paid by the government for all these years. And now I was getting only most of the money for any engineering was paid for by the government. So I wanted to get out of it. So I, I went as far out of it as I could. I, I got managed to take, get a job as a, the manager of a youth hostel. And uh, so for a long time, I, I, I worked uh, in the youth hostel movements. Are you you're, you're very familiar? You're in Sweden, right? Uh, yes, in pa I'm in Paris, but you're yes, Paris. I know that that's. Uh... Paris, I've stayed at the Paris Youth Hostel, so hosteling was at one time a very important way to go. Now we have, of course, the uh, automatic. Uh, what is it called that we all stay at? Airbnb. Airbnb, and I don't know what that's done to youth hostels. But, but but at that time, youth hostels and were the only were the only cheap way to travel around the world. Yeah. No, it's an amazing uh, movement, and I know because we work with a lot of students, uh, and they really do use the, the hostel uh, system and as a way of exploring the world and becoming. As I know, it's very important to you. You're a citizen of the world, and and that enables that. Well, yeah. One thing it has at the 
uh, other hostile stone issue. You have a common room and you can meet people from all over the world and de develop friendships and relationships uh, 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 that way. And that's something uh, that the, uh, uh, what is it, the international um, movement of, uh, host uh, of the new hosteling doesn't do. You know, no, it does. It does only in families. You meet families. No. Well, Naomi has stayed in hostels, so she disagrees with me <laughs> recently. You know. Anyway. Anyway. So, I but I think it's. I think it's very important because as a culture, it's it promotes this curiosity, um, to accept other cultures to, and I think that that must link through to your environmentalism as well because I think that it's this kind of mentality that we might have where we just if we're only seeing our own community, we're not really caring about those in the other part of the world who. So it really encourages all of these kind of dialogues about nature as well. It's very true. Yeah. yeah. And I want to I you know we haven't discussed your your childhood which of course I want to discuss your just fascinating life story cuz now you're 95 years old but I I'm it's curious still around. <laughs> still here. Yeah. I, and then from will we go back to because you were born in Germany. Yes. And uh, the, what you have seen, what you have witnessed, I mean, tell us about what that was like. Well, I, I witnessed uh, being totally rejected. <laughs> I, and, and not only witnessed it, I remembered uh, as a 10-year-old, as a I remember that uh, uh, all the children uh, would go to a class in eugenics that I was not allowed to, to go to in my class. Uh, uh, and, and I remember the uh, insults that children learned uh, to uh, against Jews while I was still there. And I'm one of the lucky Jews who managed to leave. My, my father had a temper and one day a Nazi came to our door. This is in the Hitler era. And uh, and and uh, my insult said something insulting to my father, and he <clears throat> he punched him. He had a temper and punched him, and he was jailed for t for uh, two weeks or something like that. And that woke him up to the fact that he did not want to stay. He had fought in the war. He felt himself German, and so we uh, fortunately. You can't just leave a country. You have to have someone who will accept you. And we had relatives in the US who were willing to get a visa for us because in those days, that's the only way you could leave a country. And uh, so we uh, emigrated in 36 uh, when I was 10, 10 years old to the to, uh, uh, <clears throat> to the New York area, actually. So that's that's sort of my, uh, my what happened in a, in a nutshell. And it must be, I mean, that adaptation process, uh, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't uh, ever, it's maybe never straightforward or easy. No, no, uh, no, it wasn't. 
On the other hand, it, it uh, opened up horizons when I look back that I would never have, probably would not have had. You can't tell what the future has for you anywhere. But but you know, I I came uh, I came from a little town. My father was uh, a cattle dealer. Uh, they were called cow juice, <laughs> and 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 you know I. Um, I don't know what my what future I had in store. You might have been a, a cow Jew, a Jewish cowboy, if you uh, had stayed in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had uh, on any day we had like six to eight cows, and sometimes the children would play games and try to milk uh, to uh, shoot milk at each at each other. <laughs> that, that I remember. You know, once we tried to train a goat and we put a stick up, we wanted to jump over and instead it it it, it not only jumped over, it, it ran and, and, and jumped into the river. I had to get my father to help rescue the goat. So I had my I had my own brand of adventures uh, in a small town in Germany. So who are, I guess, so who are some of your best, as I think that this must on some level have imprinted itself on you uh, to this the later conservation work with birds and, and for the environment, but who are some of your best animal friends and human friends yeah. at that time? Well, at, at, at that time, uh, I didn't, uh, I had rabbits, but some weasels got at them, I remember that, and killed them. And uh, and I had a dog, uh, but 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 uh, but I had a real I developed a real empathy for for animal animals, you know, and uh, um, and then well, what happened is that I uh, when I left, I decided to leave the uh, engineering and go. Uh, into hosteling because it was more peaceful. Uh, and one day, uh, uh, a friend, an Italian friend of mine, said you should visit Assisi, Italy, the home of Saint Francis, and see the birds of Saint Francis. And so I went there, and took. I remember taking a walk uh, on the trail leading up to Mount Subasio, the mountain that Francis is known for and finding only feathers and no birds. And that made me realize that Italian hunters who love their hunting uniforms uh, had killed most of the songbirds, most of the birds. And I started a campaign to, to uh, prohibit hunting in Assisi. We were successful in doing that. I started, it's, it was called the Assisi Bird Campaign. And uh, and ultimately, we got a moratorium on hunting in Assisi. I, I reasoned with the hunters that that they had an industry that they were all getting rich at. The million tourists who came to uh, to, to to you know to uh, uh, worship uh, Saint Francis, and they were and they were killing the songbirds when you know. So anyway, that that. That's what really uh, got me involved uh, in uh, environment. In the environment, I 
and then got involved in other campaigns like to save uh, save the whales uh, in in uh, Australia and New Zealand and dolphins. dolphins and the dolphins yeah um, I remember a, a story that is so moving and in a way I think you know animals can communicate with us if we are prepared to listen and learn their language and I think that you had uh, something that happened to you uh, perhaps it was on your first uh, trip up, up to the mountain as you said you didn't hear the birds but you spent a night on the mountain and a kind oh, of oh yes 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 yeah well that's that's right that that was that, that okay that's that was the mystical awakening it actually it did actually happen you know but it might just have come because I was so cold that I hallucinated, you know, uh, by, by sleeping on the mountain, you know, uh, when I heard a, a bird, you know, and, and got the idea that, uh, uh, which was rare in, in, on Mount Subasio, uh, and, and got the idea to try to uh, get a protection for the, bird, the birds of Assisi. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that that happened that that really happened and shaped shaped my outlook uh, well, but I, but it also i think also the fact that i had to emigrate uh, and escape uh, my, uh, my country uh, made me realize that uh, uh, that you need to protect living things of all kinds um, you saw yeah. yourself as a kind of bird as well yeah well I often thought about it, but I usually thought in terms of a magic carpet rather than developing wings. It seemed easier to climb on a carpet if it were magic and fly. What about the dolphin? Well, all these, yeah. all these animals that you have protected and the environment that you've advocated on behalf are just wonderful, each in their own ways. The birds who can migrate you know, great distances and come back home without any GPS planning or the whales with the way they uh, navigate. Just tell us of some things well, that... Well, I've swum with uh, dolphins and actually my wife and I kind of met uh, because we had the similar uh, special affection for dolphins. And, and, and uh, so... so uh, uh, I, I, I just, I just was into trying to protect uh, species, my fellow species, you know, yeah. That's so beautiful because, you know, when they have an opportunity, dolphins, it's, it's well known, but other animals as well, if they see uh, that when we're in trouble, they, they come out and try to protect us and message to us or, uh, and that's so touching as well. I would think so, and, and, and you know this. And there were mystical. There was something mystical about swimming with them, which both my wife and I had have done, uh, and very close swimming close to them. Yeah. Anyway, so that that shaped it, and it, and it kind of shaped my job. I then went to work for organizations that were into protecting nature and spend uh, most of my life to, uh, doing that. And how, you know, it's so 
there's so many things we have to change about society and you've been involved in so many campaigns. Is it sometimes difficult to choose, you know, who, which animals or which, what uh, you will focus on? That's, that's a good question. Um, well, well, the uh, saving of, of, the, of the birds, of course, came easy because of the, because I discovered that uh, someone who had falsely thought that there would be lots of birds in us in the home of uh, of the bird lovers Francis that they were hunted out and and so uh, uh, I that was my first major campaign and we ultimately got a moratorium on hunting songbirds in in Assisi which the mayor signed you know so so. Uh, uh, that that happened almost naturally, but you have to be to begin with. You have to be uh, sensitive to uh, to your fellow species. Otherwise, I, there are millions of people who go to Assisi and leave Assisi, and they might have a, a, a nice feeling about birds, but that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. And how did you, because you did come from this background in engineering, uh, you know, how did you, how, how did your, how you, how did you first recognize that you had these leadership skills and, you know, you've been running huge organizations and helping them grow and flourish. Yeah. Well, what happened is when I got back from uh, the war, I, I was now a graduate engineer and I went into engineering and, and I, and I, started getting you know when i got business almost all of the purchase orders were paid for by the the, the military the government and i just didn't want to be a part of this government military apparatus and so i literally left my career and uh, there happened to be an opening for the ma manager of a youth hostel in San Francisco, and I had got in line with about 30 other people and got the job. And, and, and of course, that changed my life uh, after that. I was mostly involved in um, nonprofit organizations and in uh, protecting uh, animals. And also yew trees as well. Oh, I mean, it's- Oh, it, yeah. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. I need reminding now, you know, my brain is beginning to slow down. Uh, and uh, of course, that was a, a major campaign. And uh, it, it started when we, when we learned that in Oregon and Washington State, uh, they, were, they were cutting down uh, yew trees that literally take tens and hundreds of years to grow to full maturity in order to get the uh, taxol, which is a, a, a chemical in the tree, mostly in the uh, outer part of the tree, uh, 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 which was an anti-cancer chemical. And, and so we started a campaign to stop the felling of, the, of these trees because they could in, in, in France, by the way, you're in Paris, the French were doing the same thing, but they were just snipping leaves 
and then converting the yew leaves into taxol, they call it a taxol tear. But the Americans in, in, in now, I, I don't want to say in their usual wasteful way, but in their way, uh, they, they discovered and patented uh, getting it from uh, the uh, skin of the tree. What is bark. it? Uh, the bark. And so they, they cut down these trees all over the world to do that until, until they finally uh, uh, managed to, uh, to, uh, to develop uh, an alternative. Under pressure. Pardon? Under pressure. Under pressure, yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. Thank you for putting them under that pressure. I, that I'm sure it's 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 fierce and diplomatic the at the same time. It was us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it it's so important the, the, all this work that you've done, and it can seem. Uh, so, are you you know as you think about as you look back at what you and your organizations have achieved and what. Um, what we're still facing, you know, it's uh, we're still uh, when you make achievements, then there's other setbacks. But are are you hopeful about the future? Or what what are your reflections on that? I'm very hopeful because uh, I because the young people are are going to inherit the earth, and uh, I, I actually focused on the young people because I founded an organization uh, called uh, Action for Nature. And, uh, um, and they, uh, these young children are doing miraculous things to, to, to uh, conserve. Um, they, uh, we have echo heroes from all over the world. Every year we select uh, find and select uh, young eco heroes. We give them a small um, monetary price because we're not a huge organization. But but the but the claim to fame that they get uh, has made many of them become uh, like um, uh, uh, advisors to prime ministers. You know because of their uh, being their reinforcement. Uh, in uh, in environmental uh, conservation, yeah, and that's going on because the organization I founded founded is very active in 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 in, in awarding in in finding eco heroes and awarding them every year. Yeah, well, it's wonderful. I think you've done over a hundred. You have awarded, uh, honored over a hundred uh, eco heroes. Mm -hmm. And people can find out more about it on actionfornature.org. And it's really important because sometimes people do this, you know, there's certain people who have been singled out as being heroes or someone to look to. But so much of this work is done silently and quietly behind the scenes. So it's for them to know that what they do is appreciated. Mm -hmm. I think really also commit, they look up to you, they look up to what you've done and your various organizations, and they they say, I will, I would like to be the um, Shimon uh, Schwarzschild of tomorrow, and it sets, uh, it makes them commit. I'm flattered, yeah, by that, yeah. Yeah, it's true, it's always, it's always great to have someone to look up to, uh, you know, who, who, who has done something you want to do, you know, 
Yeah. And, and that's going on in, in a big way every year, not just by our organization, but many others, you know. Yeah. And really, you've done this around the world. You've had, you know, or, you know, you mentioned Italy, uh, yeah. Australia, the projects there, and also you were the head of uh, or a member of the World Conservation Union, which, yeah. you know, all, is all around the world, from New Zealand to Costa Rica to Argentina, and and having the, having these general assemblies. I mean, yeah. what's that like to bring together so many countries around the same topic and try to get them all to move in roughly the same direction? Well, aside from the fact that it's really very interesting to sit at a table, say with eight people uh, coming from the South Sea Islands or um, very far off places or Paris, you know, and Paris, um, um, it, it's, uh, it's actually very encouraging to see that that this work is going on in all these in all these different places, and that there are young people who uh, are not satisfied with what the old people are doing to the planet. Of course, uh, I'm still under the spell spell of listening to um, the Swedish young Greta. Greta uh, yesterday or the day before, she gave a wonderful uh, dissertation of the, of the state of the planet and the fate of the planet if we don't if we don't change course so so uh, i'm encouraged i'm encouraged by that yeah yeah it's it is very heartening to see I mean, what I love is that there's sent with uh, Greta Thunberg and with so many of these young activists, and we have many also in participating young people in our project. Uh, it's there's a certain uh, the discipline, the mm -hmm. facts behind it. It's not just a notion how we might get there. There's a there's a like a roadmap in their mind and and the ability to get angry about it but not lose their temper. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very heartening. Yeah. Yes. It's hope hardening and hopeful, which is always the same, yeah. And it shows us that they're willing to make uh, sacrifices. One thing that we've encountered of, we heard from, there is an anxiety. I'm sure, you know, when you are do, you know, starting off different organizations, but now with this, some of the, the young people, they ha do also have this anxiety because it's, you know, a lot of things still haven't been done. Uh, so... You know, but I, I like to see that they're taking it seriously. And when you were beginning in conservation and environmentalism, I guess it was, well, it was all over the world, but you were based in uh, California and San Francisco area at the time. Yes. Uh, yes, I, I, it happened in, in California. Um, and uh, initially, um, <laughs> I have to, oh, I know. <laughs> I, I I have my, a, what would you call it a, a poop sheet? <laughs> That's not the right word. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, it's it's uh, actually a timeline I call it, and and, uh, and uh, let me just see. 
the timeline starts at birth, but that's I was not an environmentalist at birth. Um, oh, uh, uh, I, I, I was a Boy Scout, and believe it or not, Boy Scouts were uh, uh, considered environmentalists at, at that time. And, uh, and then, uh, um, I, after I, uh, after the war and I came out of the Navy, uh, I, uh, my first job was, uh, well, most of the jobs, even though they were not exactly environmentally labeled, uh, allowed me to practice uh, environmental protection. And uh, uh, when I walked away from industrial jobs and became the director of the Youth Hostel Association, I made sure that the uh, people that we hired had an environmental flair and all of our hostels were, um, many of them were environmentally located because we were along the California coast where you had the most beautiful environmental setting, but we made sure that they were in environmentalists to begin with and could inculcate this environmental uh, philosophy with people who stayed there. Uh, so that's really where, where it began. And uh, then I had a brief stint uh, in, in, in an organization called the Whale Center, where we, uh, we advocated the protection of whales because at that time, Whale, uh, there actually was a quota about how many whales could be, were allowed to be killed. And, and uh, Japan considered the whale meat very, a great delicacy, which it probably is, you know. And, and so there, we, there, there had to be international rules in terms of how many whales and dolphins could, could be killed. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any today anymore. So I was involved in all these things uh, as uh, director of the whale organizations. My name is Eric Epstein, an ocean and sustainability podcaster for the Creative Processes One Planet. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Shimon and Mia's conversation today. After listening to Shimon talk, it feels to me like he has the stories and wisdom of someone who has lived 10 lifetimes. I find it incredibly admirable that he carved his path through life based on what he felt was important and what made him happy. Whether it was helping to protect wild dolphins in Western Australia, serving as the technical publication editor for the USDA Forest Service's Pacific Southwest Research Station, or working to expand the American Youth Hostel system, Shimon has positively touched and impacted countless people and animals all over the globe. I highly recommend checking out ShimonSchwartzchild.com to see a more thorough recap of his life work because it would undoubtedly take me until the end of this podcast to summarize all of his projects and efforts over the years. Despite having the most interesting and diverse resume that I've ever seen, I'm even more impressed with Shimon's childlike ability to view the world with wonder, care, and love. As a Jew in Nazi Germany, Shimon saw the ugliest and most hateful side of humanity at only 10 years old. 
To me, it speaks infinite volumes to Shimon's character that he continues to love life and deeply appreciate every living creature to this very day. Keep listening for more great stories with Shimon and Mia, and to hear Shimon read an incredibly touching and emotional poem about his return to his hometown of Vertam just a few years ago. And how do you think that, because you were raised Orthodox Jewish. That's right, yeah. And how do you think that your upbringing influenced or may have instilled in you some of these values from your parents or, or your faith, just that way you were raised may have prepared you for the environmentalist you became? Well, um, the word protection comes and, and uh, uh, you know, I'm a, I, I, I and you and I are a species also. And, and of course, my part of the species was very, very threatened. Millions of Jews were killed. Uh, and, and so I, I, I think it was natural for me to develop an empathy of not only empathy for my fellow species, but to 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 want to protect uh, them from exploitation, uh, some some whatever form of exploitation. I think that was, for me at least, not not for everybody, but for me, that was a factor. Um, and, and so when when. Uh, uh, when this, uh, when my, uh, my stop opened up, that would bring me more in touch with the environment. I was ready to take it. For me, it was more important than what salary I was going to be having at whatever point in my life. Shimon, the fact that your father worked with cows and horses and you grew up. Well, that's true. My, my wife is reminding me that I grew up around animals uh, uh, and and sure uh, sure uh, as a matter of fact the, the earliest image that i had was me maybe at six years of age leading a cow a huge cow from the nearby a nearby village to our stable in my hometown of Wertheim, literally about maybe five miles. And, you know, I think the cow was leading me, but I, but I was pulling it and taking it by myself with no one else there from a village to my father's stable. So that, that, that's, that's the, an example. Uh, of, of a relationship, as I mentioned, I didn't. I, I had rabbits, and they died. I didn't have a, a, a dog in early stage, but when when I in later years, I, I always had had a family. We had a family a dog. A yeah, my father was a cattle dealer. Yeah. It reminds me of that story, which I loved when I was a girl by Isaac Bashevis Singer, uh, I believe called Zlata the Goat, I think. I, I think when you're talking about leading the cow, he has a story about uh, leading a goat and I, I have their deep companionship. They will have to say goodbye to the goat, but it's over winter. 
I, you may know the story and it kept him warm underneath the haystack in the snow. Uh, and this just very intimate, um, beautiful communication uh, across, across species, across, but the connection is so deep. Well, I, I'm not sure if I read it, but if I didn't, I will make a point of finding it and rereading it or, or reading it because it sounds like my uh, my setting, the setting that I had, you know. You used to milk the cows? Right? Oh, I milked, I tried milking cows, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, It's hard. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not easy, right, yeah. right. You, I, you, there's a certain way, they have to trust you, I guess. It sounds like you know, have you ever? No? Well, I visited farms, and okay. but no, I don't. I don't really. I'm just guessing. It will be. It, it is hard. Uh, the cow has to cooperate. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if I would respond if someone tried to milk me. I think it would be. <laughs> there has to be this trust. You're, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I'm sure all the animals trusted you, and you had a a, a sense. Uh, I I wish I had. Um, this is a kind of childhood that I think, I mean, obviously in different parts of the world, there are those that, you know, farming communities, but so many of us who live in cities and young people don't get that kind of childhood and that communication that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I certainly developed an affinity for animals and uh, that's why, why I was moved when I went to Assisi and found that there were no longer any birds and uh, uh, worked on that campaign, which was the beginning from, from that. We went on, I went on to found or the organization Action for Nature in the US, which is still very uh, uh, healthily uh, active in uh, protection of nature. Yeah. And going back, speaking about your childhood and those fond memories in Wertheim, um, you know, before the terrible things that did happen, um, it was some years before you could return. Uh, how old were you then? How did that happen? Um, not sure. I think I was in my uh, 40s and uh, actually... Uh, there was a mayor in Wertheim and another gentleman uh, who got together and they wanted to, uh, they wanted to reach, well, they contacted all of the living Jews all over the world, uh, uh, mostly by personally visiting them to invite them to come back on a, but, uh, on a, a visit to Wertheim, all expense paid visit to Wertheim. And uh, some, of course, some of the, my fellow uh, Wertheim Jewish, Jew, uh, Jewish resident didn't want to go near there, but I had made, I had made my peace uh, with Germany. I, uh, I, I realized that, uh, uh, Germany had done everything possible, uh, and I, I had, uh, for, I'd forgiven, if that's the word, uh, whatever happened. Um, so when I got this invitation, uh, 
I was I was ready to go back into to it, it was like I felt like there was unfinished business between them and between me as they did uh, and that that uh, my, my an uncle of mine called me a traitor for going back but but I felt like I needed to to take care of this unfinished business and of course Almost all of the people back there when I did go back were uh, uh, had not experienced any of the anti-Semitic and Nazi uh, horrors, uh, or you know, had, or had experienced it or part, taken part in it, you know. So, so uh, it was for me. Uh, uh, a positive, a very positive experience. And, that's, uh, yeah. that, no, that's beautiful, the courage and your resilience throughout your life, but the courage to go back. And, and it's an important act. I understand on the other side of it, those that might not want to return, it's too painful, but mm -hmm. also to assert, I am here. Yeah, and, and they missed out... Uh, you know, when I went back, I met some, some uh, I remember meeting uh, my women classmates who were now, of course, in their 50s and 60s. And, and, I, and I remember them getting together to reminisce and crying. I remember that scene of them crying um, about what they, uh, what they took part in as children, but really, what they were inculcated with as children, you know. Uh, they all had to be members of the Hitler Youth. They all had to uh, to do that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing to think about. Part of it, yeah. Yeah, when to be a part of it and you must go along in some way. It's, I think for, you know, it's, I think it's always maybe easier if we haven't lived through something to make a judgment to say we would have been so c courageous. I know that you're courageous, so I, I don't doubt on that. But many people say that they would have stood up, but you can even see and, you know, many times people are just quiet and they, they can't find it within themselves. You to... Uh... Yeah, to get in touch with with that with their experience. Mm. Yeah, whether it's me who fled, or the people who were the young who were boys, mm. and uh, and hurled the uh, hurled the uh, insults mm. at me uh, when I went back uh, with my wife. Uh, a little while ago, we were at a big auditorium. They were welcoming me back. And all of the children from all the surrounding schools came to that auditorium to ask questions. And and, uh, and I, um, they asked, they, they uh, asked me what the, what the insults were. I remember that still. And because that was such a searing thing. And, and I, and I shared that with them, you know, and I could almost feel a shudder go through the, through those kids, the school, those kids who were there. But, but I, 
No, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. And you and you wrote a very moving poem, uh, "Return to Wertheim." If you will read, you think you will share a little a bit of it with us? Yes, yes. I have it right here in the studio. Okay. Um, the, I wrote the poem at a poetry workshop a few years ago, and it came. It just came fluidly, almost. So it's one of the easiest poems I've, I've I haven't written that many poems, but it's the easiest poem I've ever composed. Anyway, um, I'll read the first answer, and if you want more, I'll, it's uh, um, it's called "Return to Their Time," and about six shorts or eight. It's, well, I'll read it, and if it gets to be too much, tell me stop. Um, Okay, I've made my peace with the past, my peace with the Germans, not with the SS troops who could step past our house one dark forbidding night, their black shiny boots reverberating on the cobblestones, singing, no, shouting in cadence. When the Jewish blood spurts from the knife, we will all be free. Uh, the tune has etched itself so deeply in the cells and inner recesses of my brain that I find myself humming the gruesome words and the musical cadence that emerge together until I am startled by the memory of that night and by my masochistic instinct to remember the event and epoch that turned me into a scared kid. We find we fled the bubbling cauldron that was to become the Holocaust and crossed the Atlantic to the land of cowboys, Indians, and streets paved with gold. To jobless America in depression, but breathing the air of freedom as the family eked out a living, each one of us working for the Yankee dollar in order to survive and thrive, strangers in a strange land. I was hurt by our frantic, frenetic exodus and angry too. I hated everything German, even though I was German too. Reminding myself that my family and the town's Jewish community too had our roots in Wertheim since 1405 AD as the gravestones testified before the Nazi bullies toppled or smashed them as a final insult to the dead. Wasn't it enough that they had toppled and smashed the lives of the living? I joined the Navy to fight the Germans and was sent to the Pacific in true snafu fashion to fight the Japanese instead. In the post-war era, I shunned German. I refused to socialize and fraternize with Germans. I refused to buy anything German. I refused to make love to Germans. I refused to ride in a German car, especially the Volkswagen that Hitler had extolled. Until one day, I confronted myself with this enigma. 
Hitler stereotyped all Jews as universal evil to be excised, gassed, eradicated, destroyed. Now I was stereotyping all Germans, shunning and, and reviling them, finding them all universally guilty, declaring them all universally responsible for the death of seven million Jewish brethren. I woke up to the realization that post-war Germans who were born after Hitler were as guilty of the Holocaust cruelties as I was guilty of the Native American Holocaust that occurred 100 years ago, right here in California, a bounty on their scalps, right here in the good old USA, the land of Washington and Lincoln, the land of wounded knee, and the My Lai massacre and many more. So I made a conscious decision to stop my own brand of blind hate and intolerance, the same kind that I experienced from the Nazi bullies in Wertheim who sh shouted obscenities and insults at me without even bothering to know me. A heavy weight lifted from my shoulder the good vibes that I now felt must have echoed, reverberated, and ricocheted around the world, ricocheted around the world, and must have found the psychic antenna on the roof of Wertheim City Hall must have been received and heard by Joseph Scheuermann, Wertheim's Democratic mayor, who was scouring the world, searching for the town's 100 living Jewish survivors out of 200 who had once lived there. The other 100 were killed in the Holocaust and we 100 living were now dispersed in a modern day diaspora from Alabama to Zurich. Is that enough? That's enough probably. I think so. I don't know. Do you want to do, read the closing? Because I, I find it all very interesting. It's just, uh, it's short. Yeah, Was it karma? ESP or just luck that within days after my moments of reconciliation, I would receive an invitation to return to Wertheim as a guest of its mayor and its residents. Until now, I had rejected and renounced. I returned to Wertheim with apprehension and hope to discover the memories I had left behind, to discover the aborted part of my childhood life to rediscover myself. Now I reconnected with my classmates who I had seen last when they shunned me as they were just as they were dutifully indoctrinated to do in these eugenics classes, in their eugenics classes from which I and other Jewish students were excluded, where they were shown drawings of evil looking long bearded Jewish men sucking through straws a baby's blood with glee. Now I re reconnected with my child within with a part I had felt then as one or another turned away in mid-play, remembering that I was a Jew and on Aryan too. Now they celebrated my return at a special class reunion. The 10-year-olds transformed into buxom women and beer-bellied men, 
they listened in disbelief, astonishment, and sadness to my last experience in their time at their hands, quite different from what they remembered or their consciences allowed them to remember. The, the gray-haired women sobbed, tears streamed down, understanding their part in the tragedy, realizing that they too had been robbed of their childhood innocence, feelings so long repressed and hidden from you by them, me, us. I have returned to that time half a dozen times. I've been welcomed by friends old and new. I've received uh, given outpourings of, and of hospitality, but occasionally uneasiness, par paranoia seizes me, especially when I see old strangers my age still envisage them in Nazi brown shirt and black SS uniforms. It, I resist, I resist blurting out, did you leave your uniform at home? Still imagine them once marching and singing when das Judenblut von Messerspritzt dann sind wir alle free. When the Jewish blood strips from the knife, then we will all be free. Uh, well, I, I've, last stanza, okay. Then uh, deep physical wounds leave permanent scars. Mental wounds are no different. The scars are hidden but there, capable of flaring again. My return to Wertheim started me to revisit these wounds to look at them closely, but also to see them in perspective. I can better deal with them now that I'm more at peace, accepting that for better or worse, a part of me is German, the German of a Hitler Goebbels Bormann, but also the German of a Beethoven, Goethe, Einstein, and Heine. That's it. Well, I'm still touched by my own poem. It's funny, I'm, I don't read it that much. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so, it's so true and it's so moving. So I think that, yes, of course, it moves me. I'm glad that it moves you uh, because it's completely your life and your story. And there are so many beautiful, touching or even difficult to face moments in that and and that you recognize the holocaust of you know the different holocaust as you as you have extend your empathy to the experiences of the native americans and uh it's very important as well that we don't think that once a chapter of history is over that it's all been solved we have to see it's happening in different parts of the world different genocides, unfortunately, still take place. But um, yeah, I like it. It moves me very much. And, and that you also say that every one of us, you know, was once a child and there's a child in each of us. Within, within us. Yeah, I think uh, I, I still have it. I still have one. Yeah. Well, it's very, and every, yes. As my wife will, is acknowledging. It's so important. You know, we can forget how to be like a child. And, yeah. you know, there's a great wisdom in children. So uh, true. that is true.
yeah the, as you say the innocence not yet contaminated not yet complicated by all that life gives us uh, no i see very much a, a child a youthful <laughs> essence inside of you uh, yeah th thank thank you for sharing that i'm sure that everyone who who listened to that was also uh moved moved deeply it's, it's strange to go back yes so anyway here i am i'm 95 and uh lucky i i consider myself very lucky not just that i'm 95 but i'm still able to walk and be mobile uh, not as much anymore uh, naomi uh, often rightfully tries to prod me out into the open to take my walk, you know, <laughs> but um, I'm lucky. Well, you've done um, so much. Uh, I can understand that having traveled so much and having done so much around the world that you would, would now like to take a time to rest. It makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> you have earned it. Thank you. And so, so and so, I guess you know, as you as you think back, uh, because this is you know an educational initiative, and you have this great experience of having uh, run and founded so many organizations, whether it's uh, environmental or humanitarian. You've really done the most that you can as a global citizen. So, as, as you think back, what would you? And you think about the future, what would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? Well, you know, I'm still a little bit under the spell of uh, that young Swedish. Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Thunberg. Yes, uh, who I heard yesterday. I think she made a big address. And I was. Even though, you know, uh, I know that she has advisors and all of that, I, I really felt very encouraged by her words, which seemed to come from a very spontaneous place inside of her. So, that, you know, uh, I, that made me very hope, hopeful because, you know, I've known about her and, uh, uh, I've rationalized all kinds of things about her. She's very well coached, etc. But there is a there is a real soul inside of her, and that makes me very encouraged. Uh, and uh, she has a big following, and there are other people like her, and on and not like her who are doing who are doing who are pro protecting uh, their their home wherever it is yeah. and as an as an uh, activist what what were some things that you really learned and had held on to to keep you going for the long good fight that's a good question um well one thing is that many people have feelings about um conservation 
or what have you, but uh, don't have the forum to express them in some manner. And so I am very, one of the things I'm very happy about and very proud of is that, that uh, I helped to create an organization that literally um, airs the, uh, achievements. the achievements of people from every country all over the world. And, uh, um, and, and that, well, it's not just, I'm glad about the organization, but I'm glad that there are young people out there who are doing all these things on their own, you know, and uh, and that that's that's the hopeful part. Um, I think that we need to learn to to do the same because because the signal they're giving us is that if we don't learn to do the same, we're gonna it's gonna be the demise of our species, and uh, we we've got we're on a kind of a time. Uh, machine if we don't move soon uh, our pollution will go beyond control so well I think yes of course I think that our, our eyes are open I'm I'm happy so happy to speak with you and and others like you who have really taken it seriously so I feel like we'll have advances uh you know, enough of us gather. We need that legislation, of course. We need the, we need business solutions. We need a variety of solutions. And as you say, a variety of voices around the world. You are, you, are, you are at a place where the climate accords have, are going to be, uh, well, it's the center of the climate accord. So France is, is there, you know, yeah. Well, we're trying to we try to follow through on those accords, but yes, it is a little slow. But I'm I'm extremely heartened and just by the great example that you give, not just as an activist for the environment, but on the humanitarian issues and so many things. Because you're a great storyteller as well, a great uh, a writer. So we need that whole. We need not to just be the the sum of our activism, but the example of the whole person, because that what you know energizes communities too thank you very much flattery will get you somewhere <laughs> i hope so it's been a no it's not flattery at all it's really just a fraction of what you've done and very hard to compress all those achievements and things into you know a short hour of conversation so, I, my brain is going so i can't do it anymore so i make <laughs> myself a kind of a, a time i call it time sheet Without it, I wouldn't know. I mean, I, I, I would know when I was born, but, but I wouldn't know any of the other things. So, so I literally made myself a time sheet. Not a, well. Anyway, it's you. It's in public record, I and mean, we didn't even touch on you making television shows and no. you know programs, documentaries, uh, the immense things. The thing is, it's out there, the public record. Uh, people know, people remember, people bring it forward. Mm -hmm. Young people, all those that you have awarded with your young eco heroes. So, 
it's difficult to put in an hour, but it's a, a life's work. And so I want to thank you, uh, Shimon Schwarzschild, for all that you've done, your environmental leadership and dedication to raising awareness about social, environmental, and humanitarian issues around the world so that we may create a better tomorrow. Thank you for adding your voice to the thank One Planet Podcast. Thank you for listening to me. Yeah. The One Planet Podcast is produced by The Creative Process. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer on this podcast was Eric Epstein. Digital Media Coordinator is Hannah Story Brown. Theme music is written and performed by Juan Sanchez. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast and be a part of the climate change solution, just drop us a line at team at oneplanetpodcast.org. Thank you so much for listening.